And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's scenic Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news. The story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes or shoot me an email. The address is RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com or you can call the vent line and leave your rants at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. We are living in unprecedented times. We've never seen anything like the reaction to this coronavirus in this country as this uh, panic and mass hysteria is, uh, is shutting down the economy, shutting down key parts of American life, keeping everybody indoors. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their retirements. They're losing their ability to uh, to carry on daily life. And as of yesterday, in the United States, we had about 5,700 confirmed cases of this Chinese coronavirus. Uh, that, that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of people walking around with coronavirus that show no symptoms, have not been tested, and uh, and we can't tell what that number is. We do know that there have been fewer than 100 deaths so far. As of Tuesday, it was at 94, and uh, over half of those deaths uh, were in an elderly facility. I'm not sure if it was assisted living or uh, nursing care out in Washington State. Now, I have no doubt that those numbers are going to go up as testing rolls out. Uh, We're going to find out a lot more people are carriers, and, uh, and there will be a lot more people die uh, very similar to uh, the flu season. So the question I'm asking and that, that uh, is on the top of everybody's mind is, how real is this? You know, we uh, we have seen the government's reaction to this, and we have seen the pandemic raging in Europe. And, uh, and the United States seems like they have taken a lot of uh, really uh, uh, far-sighted precautions early on while the Democrats were in their impeachment frenzy. The president was trying to limit the United States exposure to this virus by shutting down air travel. He was called racist and xenophobic, uh, but he he went ahead because (laughs) at this point, Donald Trump's used to uh, those slurs being thrown around. But uh, it did give the public health professionals in this country a chance to try to uh, get ahead of this, see where the uh, hotspots were, and isolate people. But, you know, I was a, a, a firefighter for years and years and ended my career as a, a battalion chief. And uh, in that job, you're basically a risk manager and you have to understand what risks are and and um, judge your reaction accordingly. There's four basic types of risk. Uh, there's low incident, low consequence risks. In other words, uh, uh, events that happen 
infrequently, and when they do have low consequence, they're very little concern to anybody uh, because even when they do happen, they, they don't have very high consequences. Then you have high incident, low consequence risks. These are things that happen all the time, but the consequences aren't that great, like car wrecks. I mean, you can be killed in a car accident, obviously, but that is not a, a huge mass um, incident. Uh, but they happen all the time, and when they do happen, the, the consequences are manageable. Then you have high-incident, high high-consequence events. Those things are the the types of instances that are managed on a on a systematic level. In other words, uh, they they happen all the time, and in order to reduce the consequences, you take precautions going uh, ahead because you can foresee these incidents. You enact safety rules. You enact uh, uh, you know rules on handling um, volatile chemicals or are putting safety devices in cars. You know that these instances can happen, and so you address them before they happen. And then you have uh, the type of events that are difficult to uh, to manage and mitigate. Uh, these are the low-incident, high-risk events, the, the events that happen very infrequently and are very hard to predict but when they do happen, they're high risk. They can have dire consequences and mass loss of life and result in huge property loss. Those are the ones that you have fire departments and public health systems and militaries and other things to address. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, we spend so much money on fire departments um, and uh, in the military and all, all of these other uh, agencies that are designed to uh, guard against these risks, and that is, is is because even though these events happen very infrequently and are hard to predict, when they do happen, uh, the consequences are dire, and that's what we're dealing with here. So even if we believe that the odds are that the government and the media and the uh, um, everybody is overreacting to this coronavirus outbreak, we have to assume the worst. We have to assume that uh, that the uh, the virus is going to continue to rage and it is going to continue to infect people and that's going to continue to uh, exact a heavy toll and uh, and we have to prepare for that. I, I you know personally I believe that uh, there's about an eighty five percent chance that the reaction to this virus. Is is wildly overstated, and the and uh, and the actions being taken are an overreaction. But there's that fifteen percent there uh, that I have to acknowledge that I could be wrong. This could be uh, the early stages of a mass epidemic that could kill. Uh, they they had a slider in the New York Times yesterday uh, that you could. Uh, adjust the infection rate and the mortality rate from those people affected and see uh, how many deaths would result as a consequence of that. And if you assumed an infection rate of about 40% and a mortality rate of about um, 1% of those infected, that would result in over a million deaths in this country as a result of this virus. And that would 
make the coronavirus surpass heart disease as the number one killer um, in in the country, health health wise. So, you know, for the sake of my family, uh, because I have responsibility for that, I've got to assume that, uh, you know, the reaction that we're seeing is justified, even though I believe in my heart that it's not, and uh, govern myself accordingly. But stocks absolutely got hammered again yesterday. The Dow has now, now dropped to the lowest point that we've seen since uh, before Trump took office, all of the gains that we realized in the stock market with the tax cuts and the deregulation and all of the um, great things that Donald Trump was able to achieve have now been lost. It's probably not of most people's concern, except for the fact that those people uh, that uh, have their retirement funds in the stock market and are close to retirement. Now, if, if you've got your retirement funds in the market and you're 10 years, five years even uh, out from retirement, you should not panic. You should sit uh, pat because by that time, the time you come around to retirement, they will have addressed this coronavirus and uh, and it will be uh, a distant memory like MERS and Ebola and uh, SARS and all of the other viruses. If you're close to retirement, I hope you've taken uh, the opportunity at some of these uh, up-closing days to go ahead and move your retirement funds into secure investments. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, was talking about this, uh, you know, whether how we should react to this uh, virus, and he was talking about reaction, overreaction is the appropriate reaction. You're dealing with an emerging infectious diseases outbreak. You are always behind where you think you are if you think that today reflects where you really are. That's not word speak. It means if you think you're here, you're really here because you're only getting the results. Take them very seriously. It will always seem that the best way to address it would to be doing something that looks like it might be an overreaction. It isn't an overreaction. It's a reaction that we feel is commensurate, which is actually going on in reality. So take a look at the guidelines, read them carefully, and we hope that the people of the United States will take them very seriously because they will fail if people don't adhere to them. We have to have, as a whole country, cooperate and collaborate to make sure these get done. Well, overreaction is the proper reaction. That's hard to wrap your mind around, but it appears on, in, in Washington that that's exactly what they're doing is uh, is overreaction or overreacting out of an abundance of caution. Yesterday, the president signed a $100 billion aid package that's designed to, to roll out, to, to backstop and support state and local governments in their response to this coronavirus. But that's just step one. We've already had uh, the Federal Reserve uh, do this printing of money that they call quantitative easing to the tune of about a trillion dollars at this point. And of course, uh, we've had the, we've seen them drop their interest rate to zero, which uh, allows the banks to borrow free money and then turn around and uh, lend it to credit card holders that are going to be leaning heavily 
on their credit cards as their income dries up, those banks that are borrowing at 0% will be charging between 18 and 21% and even higher to people who uh, to her, people are in distress as a result of this virus. But that is just the beginning in Washington, D.C. They're talking about now a stage three rescue package, a bailout. Right now they're bandying about ter- uh, numbers like $500 billion. By the time it comes out of Congress, I guarantee they will have loaded it up with as much pork and, and uh, pet projects as they can possibly ride onto this bill and and it will swell probably to over 850 billion or even uh, a trillion dollars so you gotta um, you gotta noodle through the consequences of all of these actions as well and as they continue to pump all of this money into the economy and they're talking about mailing out free checks to the entire population regardless of need that is going to have severe inflationary pressures on the uh, the economy and if this keeps up we could very quickly and easily find ourselves in the same boat as other nations that have experienced runaway inflation most recently the example that you would uh, cite would be Venezuela where their economy the once the most prosperous economy in South America as a result of of socialist policies, experienced runaway inflation that just destroyed the economy, and now uh, they have slipped back into the third world where people are trying to uh, to eat out of trash cans, and and um, and all of the uh, systems are breaking down. We got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the origins of this virus and uh, and what that means. Stick with us. We'll be right back. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-957-6209. 800-957-6209. 800 That's 800-957-6209. Well, there's been a big debate now uh, about whether or not we should show any interest or curiosity at all on the origins of this coronavirus. It's said to have originated in a wet market. That's a place where the Chinese buy live exotic animals uh, to butcher at home and consume them, and we're led to believe, we're told that this was a result of people eating bat soup. <laughs> yes, that's right, bat soup. We're supposed to ignore entirely 
that the wet market that they're saying was the origins of this coronavirus is 20 miles away from China's germ warfare laboratory. And China has been engaging in, uh, in espionage in this country, sneaking vials of virus out of our own infectious disease laboratories. We're supposed to ignore all of that. And uh, when, you, when you see these stories condemning the president and anybody that points out that the virus originated in China and China was very secretive in its original response to that, uh, these media uh, outlets are condemning that sort of uh, uh, inquiry. you got to keep in mind that uh, China has got its tentacles deep into our corporate uh, governance in this country uh, that own these very media outlets that are telling you to ignore all of this. And the latest thing we've seen is uh, the mainstream media condemning the president and anybody who refers to this uh, as the Chinese coronavirus. And um, they're even making up stories now uh, accusing high-level members of this administration of referring to the virus as the Kung flu. Now, when, when confronted with this accusation, Kellyanne Conway asked, well, tell me who, who said this. They, they don't know who says it. They just say it's being attributed to an unknown high-level uh, member of the administration. And in, uh, president, in the uh, daily press conference that they're holding uh, to keep the public informed of the government's reaction to the coronavirus, this uh, PBS reporter, Yamichi Alcindor, actually brought this stupid-ass question into the briefing room. Mr. President, there's federal, there's reporting that the federal government has a, a plan that shows that this coronavirus outbreak might last as much as long as 18 months. Are you seeing those numbers? Could it no, just we're not seeing last? that at all. And then the, the, my second question is, there are some, at least one White House official, who use the term Kung Flu, referring to the fact that this virus started in China. Is that acceptable? Is it wrong? Are you worried that that having this virus be, uh, be talked about as as a Chinese virus, that that might I wonder focus, who said that. that. You know who said that? that? I'm not sure the person's name, but would you condemn you the fact say that the, the term Kung again. Flu? The, a person at the White House used the term just the Kung term. Flu. My question is, do Kung you think flu. that's wrong, Kung Flu? And do you think using the term Chinese virus, that puts Asian Americans at risk, that people no, might target them? No, 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 no. I think they probably... Uh, would agree with it 100%. It comes from China. So first, Yamichi Alcindor says that somebody in the White House said Kung Flu. The president asked, who said it? Well, I'm not sure who said it. So a PBS reporter who doesn't even know who said this, doesn't have anything to base this story on, goes into the White House and asks about the supposed racial slur, Kung Flu, says it repeatedly while the president is trying to deal with uh, serious issues, but this is not limited to wild-eyed social justice media reporters over at public uh, television. The Biden campaign and uh, his, I think it's his campaign manager, former CNN talking head Simone Sanders, is, uh, is accusing the president of using a racial slur by re uh, referring to this as the Chinese coronavirus she actually went on Fox News and made that accusation talking with Martha McCallum, and Martha was having none of it.
from the front. And so what President Trump came out job and some of what point. he announced today was it's, it's a tough job, but it has to be done. And some of what he said today was good. But the reality is he also stood at the podium and uh, called the coronavirus COVID-19 uh, what I would suggest is a racial slur. It's something that is Why? offensive Why is to me. Why would Chinese it be Americans. to call it a Chinese virus it's when it originated in China? Why is that a problem? It's something that is offensive it is something that is offensive to many Americans. And so the reality is, instead of name-calling, instead of pointing fingers, instead of talking about so poll let's numbers, let's just talk let's about what we can get done. Let's be serious for a second here. You know, the, the I, MERS I'm virus, MERS virus is, is, is M-E-R-S. Do you know, wait a minute. Do you know why it's called MERS? Why is it called MERS, that virus? You tell me, Martha, you brought because it up. Because it's called the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, because that's where it originated. So this idea, you know, this, this sort of rabbit hole of, of, you know, getting into this whole issue of racism, I just think is so counterproductive to what we're, we're trying to do here. And I just talked to this amazing scholar on China moments ago who said absolutely China at the leadership level has tried to obfuscate and be everything, everything but Transparent. Since the very beginning, they lied and lied and lied about this situation. This so is why about, is it not Martha, okay to recognize where it originated? This isn't about. This is not about. Uh... So the media is carrying the Chinese communist dictatorship's water, trying to tamp down anybody who who calls this virus what it is—the Chinese coronavirus. Anybody that uh, that points out that obvious truth is uh, referred to as a racist. Ignoring entirely that this is a perfectly normal um, practice. I mean, Simone Sanders right there in that clip refers to the Ebola virus. Well, the Ebola virus was named after a river in Africa. Lyme disease was named after an area in Connecticut where the disease was uh, uh, first discovered. You got the West Nile virus we knew about, the Marburg virus, which was akin to MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Marburg uh, referred to a place. You got German measles that we all knew about, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. The Spanish flu, which is, uh, you know, the the specter that everybody is uh, citing as the worst case scenario for this current Chinese coronavirus, killed tens of uh, Tens of millions of people. The Spanish flu actually killed more people that were, than were killed in uh, World War I and World War II combined. Americans, at least, I should say. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, the media is not alone. You've got Joe Biden and his uh, advisors out there referring to the Chinese coronavirus as a racial slur. Hillary Clinton, of course, is... Uh, is putting her wine bottle down long enough to accuse anybody that uses that term as, as using a racial slur. Mm-mm-mm. I got a clip here I want to get in before the break. This is Joe Biden. Uh, he has recently issued a tweet saying, uh, my, and my word is a Biden. I will, uh, when elected president, I will address this coronavirus with science and will follow the... Uh, advisors. Well, when Joe Biden uses that term, my word is a Biden, you know he's about to lie to you. Years, Joe Biden has been recounting a story of American heroism and heartbreak on the front lines, recently telling a crowd in New Hampshire how he traveled to Afghanistan to pin a silver star on a young Navy captain. One of his buddies got shot, fell down a ravine about 60 feet. This guy climbed down a ravine, 
carried this guy up on his back under fire. And the general wanted me to pin the silver star on him. And then a moving moment as Biden approached with the medal. It's the God's truth. My word is a Biden. He stood his attention. I went to pin him. I said, sir, I don't want the damn thing. It just turns out that Biden made that entire story up. None of it was true. I wanted to get that clip in for you. Uh, he got the, the place wrong, the rank wrong, the military branch wrong, and he had no role in pinning that medal on the, on the soldier at the time. It was entirely made up. So when Joe Biden says, my word is a Biden, get ready, because he's about to lie to you. We've got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dan Perkins. We're going to explore the origins of the coronavirus and whether or not it, in fact, came from that germ warfare lab in China right after these messages on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Stick with us. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Well, with the specter of the deadly pandemic threatening to kill millions worldwide, Chinese media are now circulating a Communist Party propaganda that the coronavirus originated in the United States. A spokesperson for the Chinese Foreign Ministry recently echoed that propaganda on Twitter, saying that the U.S. Army brought the virus to Wuhan, China. The tweet was then shared by many Chinese diplomats worldwide. To talk about this, we're joined now by Dan Perkins. Dan's a nationally recognized expert on foreign policy and author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, available on Amazon. Dan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And uh, with your, you know, your comment was was really a good one because it's they're 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 saying that it was our responsibility. Um, they don't want to they don't want to take the responsibility for killing millions of people around the world by something that took place. So they got to find some place to lay it off, and and doing that has created some very significant long-term challenges for the, for them uh, that nobody's talking about yet, but we'll start talking about soon. Well, the origins of this virus have always uh, been suspicious. Um, when I raised it on the show that uh, that wet market that is the supposed or, uh, um, point of origin for the virus is only about 20 miles away from China's uh, only 
level four biowarfare lab. Uh, people called me a conspiracy theorist, but I think it's important to to recognize that the origins of this virus might not be completely accidental. And if you, uh, you know, if, if a outbreak, a disease outbreak had occurred in this country that was right around the corner for the centers of disease control, there would be a lot more interest in whether or not that uh, that virus had originated in a government lab. And I think it's only fair to ask the same question of the communist dictatorship in China. And I'm not saying necessarily that it was even purposeful that it uh, escaped that laboratory over there, although I'm not ruling that out. But it's most certainly uh, a real possibility that uh, it was an accident at the very least. Well, I, I, I would take a take with what you're saying and just add another twist to it. Um, if you look at look at two reactions, I'm not saying they're equal, or just two reactions. When the Chinese government discovered that they had the virus, and it was it looks like Hunan was the epicenter, they closed the city. They put it on lockdown. But city that of has six million to, people. Yeah, six million people. However, however. Out of 1.3 billion people, China did not shut down the rest of their country. They didn't put everybody in quarantine. They didn't close sporting events, restaurants, theaters. They didn't do any of that. They concentrated their efforts in Hunan and tried to deal with it. And if you look at the number of one, if you look at the number of people, and I understand we can't trust the Chinese, all we can do is deal with the numbers that we have. If you look at the number of people that were, quote, reported on the Johns Hopkins website on following the, uh, the virus, um, the number of people who were infected with the virus versus the number of people who have died from the virus. And we're now looking at about 80, about 81,000, and the daily numbers are going down into the tens and twenties, not hundreds of new infections. So about 81,000 people in China got the infection and maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 7,000 have died from it in a country of 1.3 billion. And they didn't shut down the world. The rest of the country went on with doing what they were doing. Well, we, on the other hand, and the Chinese, media, the Chinese media, the state run Chinese media, I'll quick to add, uh, kept the initial outbreak in uh, in Wuhan uh, province secret for about two weeks, uh, and right. it, and you know if it, it occurs to me that if they were confident that it it emerged from that wet market where they're eating wild animals, uh, buying them alive and butchering them, uh, which is uh, really a, a very third world practice that uh, you would think China had had passed by at this point. But if it really had originated there, uh, why would there be so much secrecy revolving around this? But that two weeks uh, cost the world uh, a lot of time that they could have been taking the moves to try to isolate and protect their own populations. No question. No question. And and we have to congratulate the president on putting the travel ban in when he did for people coming from China. The rest of the world was very slow to get there. Europe didn't get there till yesterday. Yesterday, mm-hmm. Europe decided they were going to ban people coming in from uh, from China. So my point is, is that if the Chinese government, if we can believe their numbers, 
relative to the size of their population. While this was a terrible thing to have happen, they didn't shut down everything. And, and it appears that they've gone over the hump and they're going on the downward side because based on the numbers reported at Johns Hopkins, there are less than 9,000 people left who have, who have conducted, who have been, who have the virus and the outcome has still has not been determined as to whether they're going to live or die, but there's only 9,000 left. And so South Korea is also turning the numbers, uh, uh, reducing the, the numbers. Uh, and so I look at the reaction that we have had in the United States and I question, and I question because I wrote a commentary several weeks ago that the Center for Disease Control tracks the flu virus in the United States. Flu season in the U.S. runs from October 1st to April 1st. And as of February 15th, they said between 29 and 41 million Americans had the flu. 500,000 people at least were hospitalized and possibly 41,000, let me say that number again, 41,000 died from the flu virus. We have somewhere around 7,000 people so far who've been identified that have caught the virus. And we have about 110 people that have died so far. And I look at the relative difference in the reactions and what we're doing, and I don't know whether it's right or not, but it doesn't seem right to me that we've gone way overboard. And I'm hopeful when this is all said and done, that there'll be some kind of a commission that will look back at the way America handled this and how much was necessary and how much was emotional and fear-based as opposed to any other alternative. That was, that's what concerns me. Well, the Democrats are busy trying to shut anybody up that points out that this originated from communist China and that uh, we deserve yes. answers of whether or not it uh, came out of that wet market or whether or not it came out of that Jordan warfare laboratory. The Democrats are right. immediately calling them racist, which seems to be their answer to to everything. If uh, if they don't like yes. what you're saying, they just accuse you of being a racist and try to uh, shut it up. But if you look at the country's hardest hit, other than China, by this, Italy and Iran, both of who uh, had a lot of travel directly from that Wuhan uh, region in China, and if they had had that extra two weeks notification, they may have uh, prevented a lot of deaths in those countries. If you go back to the Johns Hopkins website and look at the map that you can get there on the on the the status of the virus, and it'll show you all the areas of the world where there's it's there are outbreaks, and you look at Europe. What what the health people are now saying that the epicenters move from Wuhan to Europe. When you look at that map and you look at the number of people, I think seven of the top ten nations with both contamination and deaths are in Europe. What look at that map and ask yourself: Do you believe that socialized medicine worked in Europe? And do we want the socialists and the communists who are running? for a president in the Democratic Party to be in charge of a health care system that's Medicare for all and single payer, and the government's going to take care of everything, like what happened in Europe? I don't think so. Well, you know, uh, getting back to the, the specter of this being uh, this virus uh, being a, um, a germ warfare agent, we know that recently 
um, Chinese researchers uh, in Canada and uh, and in the United States, I think right there at Harvard University, have been caught smuggling out viral agents from uh, from our labs. Now, what would be the purpose of trying to smuggle out viral agents? Why wouldn't you go through the normal uh, public health systems if you wanted to do research on those agents? Uh, it, it seems like they're engaged in espionage when it comes to uh, viral agents. And, and if that's the case, then it's most certainly legitimate to ask if they're developing uh, germ warfare agents from those viruses. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that perhaps one of the things they're doing is they're taking these viral agents out to see if there's a possibility that they can create an antidote or a cure for it. And if they create a strain that they can't come up with a cure, that's something that they can weaponize. Or and if they have so a cure I, and the rest of the world doesn't, that gives, gives them the head start of being able to contain the virus oh, uh, that originates in their own uh, borders. I think one of the, you're right. I think one of the things that a lot of Americans and, and not, I'm, I'm afraid not enough Americans know this yet, but because the Democrats aren't telling them that, that almost a hundred percent of our pharmaceutical product that we use for our own healthcare in the United States comes from China. And two weeks ago, China said, you know, in essence, if you don't behave, we'll stop shipping you medicine. And that is, to me, that's, I wrote about that. That is a national security issue. Most certainly. That we are being attempted to be blackmailed by a foreign nation, much like we were in the oil embargo in the 70s and 80s, where they shut down America's economy in the middle, from the Middle East oil cartel to control the price and flow of oil. When we have that kind of exposure that 95 to 100% of anything that we need in our country is supplied only by one country, we are vulnerable. And our medicine, our pharmaceutical, and the plastics that we use in pharmaceutical are dominated by China. We have to bring that home. You have to look at this, current, this these current events in the broader context of the um, the trade environment where Donald Trump is trying to rebalance our trade relationship with China which has uh, mm-hmm. caused their economy to contract for the first time in memory. I mean, for the last 20 years, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been experiencing growth rates of uh, 8 to 12% every year. Last year, mm-hmm. they, they're claiming a growth rate of 3%, which, you know, if you uh, balance that out with the Chinese propaganda, you can, uh, you can extrapolate that they probably didn't grow at all. And now we right. have we have this uh, virus emanating out of out of uh, China, and uh, at the same time they've got complete control of our pharmaceutical industry, which uh, mm-hmm. which leaves us so vulnerable. If they actually would take the male- malevolent types of action to spread a virus, who's to say they wouldn't also do that in those uh, in in that uh, those pharmaceuticals? Right. There's no question. So we're we're beginning to understand that the global world that everybody hoped for, uh, where we had great economies of scale, and we always went to the low price pr- uh, producer to to get the highest quality products, that didn't it hasn't worked. And and what really is the the notification is that we understand now, not only how bad a decision it was how dangerous it is dangerous it was for our own internal and national security
Dan, it's mind-boggling that these uh, these Ivy-educated elites who run our foreign policy and our national security would stand idly by and let our pharmaceutical ent- uh, industry um, move offshore to a communist dictatorship who has sworn mm-hmm. to displace us on the world stage and is uh, developing their their military capabilities so that they can challenge us, uh, at least in, in the, uh, the Asian region. Uh, there's right. been a lot of talk now about reshoring these, um, these critical industries like pharmaceuticals, but the spokesperson for the Chinese government is, uh, is all over TV, TV uh, making veiled threats that trying to move medical supply chains back to the U S from China is unrealistic and will have uh, negative consequences. He says, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, what negative consequence would that have? Well, the negative consequences initially is they shut off the supply because we don't have the ability to to build it. But but the president addressed that somewhat last night in that they're having conversations with Ireland and having conversations with Pakistan and other countries to pick up what the, what the Chinese. Uh, but but again, did you say Chinese Pakistan? Are, no, I said India. India, India, gotcha. India, India, Ireland are, are big pharmaceutical manufacturing areas. I see. And there are others, Switzerland and other, so that we would look to as a transition to try and acquire uh, pharmaceuticals from other countries uh, to, to meet our needs, uh, which would take that revenue away from China and uh, put pressure on their economy. <clears throat> but it would give us an alternative source as we are rebuilding our medical infrastructure in the United States. And it's these, what, what the, the silver lining, if you would, from this terrible thing that we're experiencing is that we may be in the, in the, on the edge of a, a new growth America that outperforms the entire world. I mean, I, I think, when we begin to understand how much we have outsourced to China and other nations and how much we've risked our national security, that stuff's going to start coming back. That's a long time growth cycle for the United States. Well, it's definitely a wake up call. If, and if it's not a wake up call mm-hmm. to our, to our uh, governing officials and uh, they're, uh, they're asleep beyond waking because this has put the United States in a very, compromised position you know prior to us offshoring all of our pharmaceutical industries to china uh, a lot of that was made in puerto rico and uh, and they they, yes. clo- they closed up those uh factories and and shuttered them and and that's part of the reason why puerto rico was so impoverished that they had to end up declaring uh, bankruptcy and were so unprepared their infrastructure was so unprepared for this hurricane that hit so these things have real world consequences right and so I think I, I suggested to the president in a commentary that we need to create economic empowerment zones to encourage companies to expand the production to include American pharmaceuticals. And most important, we need to regenerate those facilities in Puerto Rico that were there to produce American pharmaceuticals. And I think putting those back up on stream and getting them up and running will be the first place that we can begin to manufacture pharmaceuticals again in the United States and help that nation and put people, people to work. And I I think it's going to be a, a significant boom to put millions and millions of people to work. 
You know, I recently read an article that said that uh, there had been um, some trials conducted uh, with a, a drug that was originally designed to treat malaria and has been also effective in treating rheumatoid arthritis, and that it kept uh, it, it shortened the recovery period from the coronavirus to as little as six days, and appears also to have a uh, a prophylactic effect to keep people from becoming affected with the virus. And that was great mm-hmm. news, very encouraging. And then at the end of the article, it came out where all of that, those drugs are manufactured. None other than communist China. Yeah. Now there's, there is another drug, uh, produced by the pharmaceutical company called Gilead, which has a drug that's being tested in China, in the United States and other nations which was a drug that they developed for Ebola as a viral antiviral. And apparently it is getting similar results and we should have within two weeks, uh, a good indication. If it is, if it pans out, uh, to be one of those things that, as I understand it, I'm not a biologist, but what I understand it is this Gilead drug actually stops the virus from multiplying. It, It starts killing the virus. So if that could happen, we could, we could, and and I did see some work on some, what they call compassionate care uh, doses that were given in in that nursing home in Seattle, where we have almost half the total deaths in the country and people were recovering. And and as you pointed out in, in six or seven days. So if that's, and that's manufactured in the United States, not in China, um, that could be a huge boon. And, and it, it's it, it's it's a spark, and I'm telling you, we can change the psychology with a spark. If this product or some other product comes out and has scientific evidence that it cures it in kills it in six or seven days, and people are recovering much quicker, that will change the psychology about how devastating this disease can be. Oh, it'll be huge! I remember uh, shortly after the White House started hold, holding their press conferences. The president said that uh, we're going to develop vaccines and uh, and therapeutic drugs in record time. And then, of mm-hmm. course, uh, Anthony Fauci says that, you know, it usually takes a year and a half to develop and test any vaccine. And then the media ran out and said, uh, you know, the president's lying. He's putting out disinformation. And we learned uh, on Monday that uh, just Tuesday they had already begun trials on a vaccine that they that had been developed. Uh, they're running trials in Washington state right now. So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's cutting through a lot of the red tape that uh, doesn't make any sense to anybody, but a government bureaucrat. And he is in right. fact, um, possibly putting this thing on track to having a, uh, a vaccine ready by the time the flu season rolls around, uh, next October, uh, it runs from what, mm-hmm. October to April. Yes, sir. So that would, that would be really encouraging. I always wondered whether or not, uh, taking zinc would, uh, would, decrease your susceptibility to a virus. I know that uh, it, it knocks uh, colds and flus, flu out, uh, but I, I don't know if there's something particular about this strain of coronavirus that uh, is resistant to zinc. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a biologist or a chemist. I, I can't speak to either one. Nor am I. Well, uh, we're also learning that at the same time we've got this coronavirus outbreak uh, that's hitting Iran and other uh, Middle Eastern countries so far. And if this thing gets loose in India, it uh, it is really going to be a, a catastrophe. 
Uh, but there is a, a, a plague of locusts that are making its way up from eastern Africa up up through uh, the Middle East and is headed right for Iran. So this is kind of taking on biblical proportions of plague and, yes, sir. and pestilence. You're right. Yep. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen there, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it does get a little scary at times, doesn't it? It really does get scary. It makes you uh, makes you want to uh, redouble your uh, your praying um, at the at the end mm-hmm. of the day that uh, that God will. You bet. Um, so here I've got a clip here of uh, Anthony Fauci. Well, let me play the president announcing uh, the development of these vaccine and the the trials that have recently launched. I'm also pleased to report today that a vaccine candidate has begun the phase one clinical trial. This is one of the fastest vaccine development launches in history. Not even close. We're also racing to develop antiviral therapies and other treatments. And we've had some promising results, early results, but promising to reduce the severity and the duration of the the symptoms. And I have to say that uh, our government is prepared to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes we're doing. We're doing it in every way. You know what amazes me about that development is again and again, uh, the president has made statements that were sort of contrary to the official official government bureaucratic line. And uh, the media have jumped on him with both feet saying he's putting out this information. But time and again, it's turned out that he was right. Uh, They were originally saying that the mortality rate of this virus was about three and a half percent. The president said Mm -hmm. he didn't believe it was nearly that high because there were a lot of people that were infected that did not know about it. And it was Mm -hmm. it was only about two weeks later that it turned out that, yes, indeed, the uh, the the mortality rate is more like one percent or maybe even lower. Mm hmm. Agreed. Agreed. That's true. So Dan Beek is author of the trilogy of the Red Nile. It's three books. You can get them on Amazon. Order yours today. Yes, it's a great read. Dan Perkins is available to follow on Twitter at Dan's Beak. That's D A N S B A K. And you can go directly to and his web. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, was, I want to make sure you got the website. In, <laughs> you're going to do that. Dan com. That's Dan Perkins. I actually got a new one. All right. A new website. Tell it's, us. It's, called, it's, it's simpler. DanPerkins.guru. G U R U. DanPerkins.guru. Dan, thanks mm-hmm. for joining us. It's always good to hear uh, your take on these things. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Take care. Mojo. Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your driver, 
papers and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-631-9241. That's 800-631-9241. Well, media coverage of this coronavirus has knocked most of the other news off of the front pages and off of the cable TV news programs. But just last week, we learned something that's very encouraging, uh, especially in light of this current virus. The Supreme Court ruled that the Trump administration can, in fact, continue to enforce this remain in Mexico policy, uh, which makes migrants apply for asylum outside of the U.S. and then get a decision before they can enter. Uh, The Hill uh, newspaper reported that the remain in Mexico policy, officially known as the Migrant Protection Protocols, has kept nearly 60,000 asylum seekers outside of the U.S. while their claims are processed. The court forcefully rejected the Trump's uh, uh, administration's assertion, the lower court did, that, um, that's, that uh, I'm sorry, let's say, the, the high court forcefully rejected the Trump's administration's assertion that, the, uh, that it could strand asylum seekers in Mexico and subject them to grave danger. I made a mess of that. It was the lower court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, actually, that uh, ruled that um, denying asylum seekers entry was uh, was against the law, and the high court sided with the administration that they can continue to do that. And, of course, now we're learning that uh, the president is going to institute a total and complete ban on the admission of additional um, asylum seekers uh from all of our borders because of this virus uh, and, and the administration is trying to prevent the outbreak of the coronavirus in these detention centers where they hold these asylum seekers uh, uh, pending their adjudication. I think they're also shutting down the refugee programs that uh, have been bringing tens of thousands of uh, refugees to the country from uh, from places in Africa and the Middle East. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you, for, as always, for joining us and invite you back here for another edition tomorrow on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. Look forward to talking to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. 
Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.